podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Monday, the 5th of September, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from. For example, UK expats wanting BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day. Liberty Shield VPN. Irish expats wanting the RTE player. Liberty Shield VPN. Get you where you want to go, watch what you want to watch, and most importantly, keep that data safe. Five-star ratings across the board on Trustpilot, the number one rated VPN on Trustpilot. Go to libertyshield.com right now and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout on either the hardware or software packages. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off. Do also remember to check out the other podcasts available from EPL Index. There's the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries. It's out Sundays or Mondays depending on when he gets to release it. Uh, you'll find that on your podcast provider by searching EPL Roundtable. And on this feed, there is a tad predictable, which is out every game week to deal with plus a guest, previewing and predicting the week's games. So EPL Roundtable and a tad predictable. Make sure you're listening. Right, folks, uh, I am back. Hello. Uh, felt quite nice to... Let a roar of what's good, boys and girls, because it hasn't been much good for the last little while, especially if you're if you're a Liverpool fan. But um, you know, there was other games at the weekend too. So we'll start with Liverpool nil, Everton nil. Really poor performance by Liverpool. Good point for Everton. They deserved their point. Pickford made some big saves in the game. They did create a couple of half decent chances. They had a goal disallowed by Connor Cody, which was clearly offside. Um, there may well have been a shout for an Everton penalty. The shot that Alison Becker tipped over the bar from Dwight McNeil might have hit James Milner's arm. Might have hit James Milner's arm. So, you know, we'll take it and we'll run. Uh, I went into more detail, a little bit more detail on the Daily Red, but I had a good old shout about things at the weekend, so I'm kind of over it. Let's move on. Uh, Tottenham 2, Fulham 1. Another win for Tottenham. Another game which they didn't play particularly well, but got the result that they wanted. Pierre, excuse me, Pierre-Emile Heusberg opened the scoring on 40 minutes. Nicely worked and nicely taken goal. Harry Kane made it 2 on 75 with a typical Harry Kane goal. And Alexander Mitrovic with the goal of the game pulled one back for Fulham on 83. Spurs were the better team and deserved their three points. Fulham did cause them some problems, though. Uh, Tottenham thought they had it wrapped up when Richarlison scored a third goal for them, whipped his top off to celebrate, and uh, his goal was disallowed and he got booked for taking his shirt off. So, you know, not a great turn of events for the Brazilian, but an important three points four Spurs and Spurs are third in the league one point off the top still unbeaten along with City the only unbeaten team in the league um, scoring a decent amount of goals averaging two a game conceding less than one a game they along with Brighton have the second best defensive record in the league the best defensive record belongs to Wolves 
But all things considered, I think Antonio Conte is going to be very, very happy with how his side have begun this season. I think Marco Silva will also be happy with how his side have begun the season. Eight points from six games, two wins, two draws, two defeats, nine goals scored, nine goals conceded. They'll be very, very happy with where they are right now. I do wonder if they'll run out of steam because they're playing a very high tempo, very high intensity brand of football right now. So I do wonder if they'll run out of steam. But for now, things are going well for Fulham and congrats to them. Uh, I should have pointed out Liverpool are now seven in the league, uh, nine points. They won't be happy with how things have gone. Um, They have scored and conceded, scored more and conceded less than Arsenal, which is not bad. But, um, I mean, nine of their goals came in one game. Uh, in the other five games, they've basically gone six goals scored, six conceded, which really isn't good enough. Uh, and they'd have six points from those five games. So, you know, really not good enough for Liverpool. They need to get their act together. Everton have four points. They've drawn four successive games, having lost their first two. Um, they're the most boring team in the league right now. They really are. And um, they don't look like winning football matches. They don't look like they're really setting out to win football matches. So I have serious concerns over what's going to happen there. Like, they're 16th on goal difference. But they're level on points with Villa, who are 17th, West Ham, who are 18th, and Forest, who are 19th. And Forest and West Ham have been more impressive than Everton. Villa have been equally as poor. I, I just, I think Everton are in trouble. I really do. Uh, let's move on, though. Don't want to get bogged down on Everton today. I'm going to get through this as quickly as I can. Nottingham Forest 2, Bournemouth 3. Disastrous result for Forest, especially having gone 2-0 up. Czech Coyote opened the scoring on 33 minutes with a good header from a great, great corner by Morgan Gibbs-White. And then Brennan Johnson with a penalty just on the stroke of half time to make it two. And Forrest really should have cruised home from there. But a rasper from Philip, Philip Billing on 51. An overhead kick from Dominic Solanke on 63. And then just flat out poor defending from Forrest gave Jaden Anthony the chance to make it three on 87. And Bournemouth get a 3-2 victory. And the team that Scott Parker said wasn't good enough for this division have now taken four points from two games following his dismissal. Uh, they are now 13th in the league. I still think they're going to go down. And I'd still be really surprised if they even got to 25 points. But this has shown that these are players capable of playing in the division. Now, admittedly, Forrest did come up with them. But remember, that's a completely different Forest team than what was in the championship last year. And the draw at Wolves was a good result for them. So, yeah, I think all things considered, they'll be very, very happy with how their last five days or so have gone. And um, Gary O'Neill may be putting himself in the picture to be given the managerial job. I don't know. Um he was working at Liverpool for a little while. Then he went to Bournemouth uh, to be the first team coach uh, under Jonathan Woodgate and uh, has you know stayed on under Parker and now, now taken charge. So it remains to be seen what he does from here on. But, you know, it's, it's a decent start. And uh, Bournemouth are giving themselves a bit of a fighting chance, which is the main thing. Forest 19th. I'm not overly concerned yet, but three defeats in a row is not great. Now, they got walloped, obviously, by City and they lost to Tottenham. They're two games that you don't expect to get much from if you're Forest, but they really do have to be beating Bournemouth at home. And they've got Leeds away and Fulham home next, and then Leicester in whatever iteration Leicester are in. They need, I think, to pick up at least four points from those three games. Um, but I still have a lot of faith in Steve Cooper. 
I still think there's a lot more to come from this team. I think he needs to stop playing Steve Cook, who is a travesty at centre-back. An absolute travesty at this level. You cannot play him. He's not good enough. He was never good enough. He wasn't good enough for the Premier League when he was at Bournemouth playing regularly in the Premier League. He's certainly not good enough now. Uh, Moving on to probably the most controversial outcome of the weekend. Chelsea 2, West Ham 1. Decent game of football. Um, Chelsea went one up through Mikel Antonio after 62 minutes. Bit of a scramble in the Chelsea penalty area. Mendy just absolutely flapping all over the place. And Antonio tapping home from the goal line. Ben Chilwell came off the bench and he scored Chelsea's first. It's poor defending and I don't really know what Fabianski was doing, but Chilwell did really well, managed to control the ball and knock it between the keeper's legs to score. And then Kai Havertz in the 88th minute with, again, I I put that down as poor defending, another scramble in the West Ham box, really good finish from Kai but again, the defending leaves a lot to be desired. West Ham should have had an equaliser. Now, it was given and then it was ruled out by the VAR. Or, well, the referee went and viewed the VAR screen. Um, I thought it was a perfectly fine goal. The Mendy spills the ball. And... I think the West Ham, it's Jared Bone. Jared Bone goes in for it. He does make contact with Mendy's arm with his left foot, but there's it's minimal contact. It's not enough to have Mendy rolling around on the floor the way he is. And the reason Bowen can't lift that leg up to jump over him is because he's trying to get his right foot stretched out to avoid standing on him. I think it's an absolute shocker of a decision by the VAR, being honest. I really do think it's a shocker. I think it's something that's going to have to be brought up the next time that referee's in for a review. That It's just such a poor decision. West Ham deserved a point and were robbed of a point. Um, it means West Ham stay 18th. They've only got four points in their six games. It's been a bad start, but the format was starting to turn around and then obviously they get robbed here. Uh, It's an undeserved victory for Chelsea who aren't playing well at all this season, but they'll be happy enough. Ten points from their six games, three wins, a draw. Two defeats will be concerning for them. The fact that they've got a negative goal difference is, uh, is also a bit of a worry. Defensively, they haven't looked particularly good. Silva just looks all over the place. And, um, and they're not scoring enough goals, which you knew was going to be a problem. But I think West Ham can feel really hard done by in that game. Uh, Brentford 5 leads to, there's no feelings of hard luck here. There's just Ivan Tony being absolutely phenomenal in this game. The first goal is a penalty. Um, he's fouled by Sinistera, there's no question. It's rightly a penalty. He steps up, he scores. The second goal is a free kick from about 23 yards out. He steps up and buries it in the top corner. The third goal, a Sinistera did get one back for Leeds just before half time. Really well taken goal, to be fair. His second goal for the club, really well taken. Tony gets his third. It's a mistake by Melier. Comes charging out of his goal. Ball breaks to Tony probably 35 yards out. Dribbles it a bit and just clips it over the defender. Perfect chip, perfect goal. And good value for their lead were Brentford. Mark Rocca did get leads back into it um, at 3-2 on 79. But Brian and Bomo, within a minute, had Brentford 4-2 up. And then Johan Wiese wrapped it up in the 91st minute on a counter-attack. Leeds were pushing, trying to win the game. And, and look, they played well. It was a really enjoyable game of football. Um, there was some bad defending, but it was a really enjoyable game of football. And uh, credit to both sides. Um, Brentford currently sit in eighth. Nine points in their six games. Very similar record to Liverpool. They've just conceded three goals more, but they've scored the same amount. And Leeds are ninth with eight points from their six games. 
two wins, two draws, two defeats, 10 goals scored, 10 goals conceded. Um, they need to improve defensively, but that's going to be a Leeds problem. They didn't address the centre-back need in the summer that they needed, so it is what it is. Um, moving on then, Wolves won Southampton nil. Daniel Pedence with the only goal of the game, and basically a fluke. Uh, great work by Matthias Nunes, breaks down the right, plays it across. Pedence doesn't make good contact with the ball at all, but that's what beats the keeper who's expecting him to get a full side foot on it. Basuna commits to a dive when if he just stood up, he would have caught the ball easily. This was a pretty good game. And I was fairly impressed with the battle in midfield. Um, I thought Diallo played fairly well next to Ward-Prowse. Neves and, and Nunes were great for um, for Wolves. Neto just hasn't looked right yet this season, but we know he's a really good player. We know it will come round for him. And uh, unfortunately for Wolves, there is one big blow coming out of this game. Sasa Kaladzic, their new number nine, or the, well, he's the number 18, but the new striker, brought in to hopefully solve their goal-scoring woes, uh, tore his ACL in this game and is likely to miss most, if not all, of the rest of the season, which is just really tough. It's really tough for them to take. Um, he tried to play on apparently but it just wasn't happening and uh, he is going to be out for a while and it looks like Diego Costa is coming back to England David Ornstein reporting yesterday that Diego Costa is flying into Wolverhampton today to have medical exams and if all goes to plan he is going to be signed by Wolves and as teams haven't had to register their squads yet and as he is a free agent, he can be signed to play straight away. So, yeah, Diego Costa back in England. That's a bit of an odd one. But needs must. Needs must. And unfortunately for Wolves, they must. Uh, Wolves moved to 14th in the league. That's the first victory of the season. I've been impressed by Wolves this season. The issue is they don't have enough goals in the team. And we knew that going into the season. But... Kalisic was meant to solve part of that problem. Um, they're 14th. They've only scored three goals in six games. There's the issue. They've only conceded four. And this was the same thing last year, if you remember. They were top three in goal score, uh, top three in goals conceded, or least goals conceded, and bottom three in goals scored for most of last season. Well, this season, they're joint bottom with West Ham for goals scored. And it's Far easier to see West Ham scoring a bunch of goals considering they've got Antonio and Bowen and Ben Rama and Fornals and Skamaka and Paqueta and players like this. It's tough to see Wolves scoring a lot of goals. But they have the best defensive record in the league. So this is just Bruno Page's Wolves. Um, I think they'll be fine. I, I really do think they'll be fine. Uh, but this is a good win for them and a good, uh, a good way to get themselves off the mark in terms of victories. Uh, Southampton are 12th. Seven points, two two wins, a draw, three defeats. Again, their team that needs more goals. They've only scored seven. They've conceded ten, which isn't terrible, all things considered. Like they conceded four against Spurs. Other than that, they've been fairly decent defensively, and um, they just need to start scoring more goals. It's as simple as that. And that was what I said in the summer. They needed a striker, but they didn't bring one in. No idea how this game ended nil-nil. Newcastle nil, Crystal Palace nil. 42 shots in the game. 15 on target. This one also had a massively controversial moment. And it's the biggest moment of the game. Um, Tyreek Mitchell very clearly pushes Joe Willock into Gaeta. Very clearly, that causes Gaeta to spill the ball and hits Mitchell, it goes in. And it gets disallowed for foul on the goalkeeper, but the foul was initiated by the defender pushing the attacker. This goal should have been given. Now, I don't think Newcastle deserved the win. I think a draw was a fair result. I think there was some good football played by both teams. But that decision was absolutely shocking. 
absolutely appalling by by the officials. I just don't know how you can call that one. And I'm sure, again, we're going to hear more about it. We have heard there is to be a review of VAR and how it's implemented, but it needs to happen soon. And I've said before, my view is referees shouldn't be VARs. VAR should be operated by people who are hired specifically to be VAR. They should have no relationship at all with the referee. And frankly, we should not know know their names. Like, this shouldn't be that there's one person on VAR. This should be like it's done in the NHL who have the best video replay crews going. There's a centralized office and these people work together there to make these decisions. And we don't know their names. Like when you hear that Bobby Madley is, or whoever is the video, you just know something bad is going to happen. Because he's awful. He's an awful referee. How's he going to be any better as a VAR? And like this thing now where they won't overturn a decision other than an offside, they just send them to the camera. Like that's nonsense as well. Just overturn the decision. Stop letting your mate walk his way out of trouble. Awful. Absolutely awful. So yeah, I mean, I think Newcastle can feel robbed, but again, I, I think they did deserved a point and a point only. Uh, Aston Villa won, Man City won. Now, this one to me is not controversial. So, City scored to Erling Haaland in the 50 minutes. City had battered Villa. Like, City destroyed Villa in this game. And the idea that this was some sort of Steven Gerrard masterclass is founded only in fiction. Villa were on the end of a, of a paddling. Uh, they had three shots in the game, one on target that went in. They didn't defend particularly well. City were just quite wasteful. And that's basically how it was kept at one goal. Erling Haaland scores on 50. It's an unbelievable cross by Kevin De Bruyne. It's probably the best cross you're going to see all season. On the run, on an angle, whips it and dips it into an area that he knows the goalkeeper can't get to. It's over the keeper and sailing about, I don't know, a yard and a half from the goal. And all it needs is someone to touch it. And it's a really hard ball for any defender to deal with without risking an own goal. For a defender, your best bet is to try and get your body between it and the between attacker and the goal and let the ball sail across and go out. But all anyone has to do is touch it and it's in the net. And that's all Haaland did was touch it from like four feet and put it in. Um City's or Villa's goal was Villa's equaliser was a great goal. I thought Ramsey did brilliantly to break down the left. Great cross and uh, stunning finish by Leon Bailey, who hadn't really been in the game a whole lot until then. The controversy in this one arises with the Coutinho goal. Um, Ollie Watkins has the ball, plays the cross. I think he played it for Ramsey, who couldn't get to it. Coutinho had made a run past the ball, was still onside, wasn't offside, came back round, picked up the loose ball, dribbled into a central area and whipped a shot into the back of the net. Now, when Coutinho made that run, the linesman judged him to be offside and put his flag up and the referee blew his whistle. City's players stopped playing around the same time Coutinho picked the ball up. Coutinho picks the ball up and the whistle goes fairly instantly and it's bang, bang, and City stop playing. They don't attempt to press Coutinho, they don't attempt to block the shot, and Ederson doesn't make any real effort to save the ball. Now, it's the wrong decision by the officials, but I don't think Coutinho gets that shot away or scores if the whistle doesn't go. So I'm not sure it's as controversial as people want to make it out to be. I will say it's another poor example of officials not doing their jobs properly. They've been told not 
to raise the flags until the move ends, not to blow the whistle until the move ends. And uh, by doing that, we don't know what would have happened. We can't say for certain that Coutinho would have scored or wouldn't have scored. So I don't think it's as controversial as the others. I think Villa are very fortunate to have gotten a point. Um, and I think City will be very, very disappointed with their point. Just realised they didn't do uh, Newcastle. Newcastle, by the way, are 11th in the league. Newcastle have only won one game this season. For all the lauding that Eddie Howe has gotten, they won their first game against newly promoted Forest and haven't won since. Palace are 15th, um, six points. They'll be a little bit disappointed with how things have gone so far. But given they had no preseason, this is basically the preseason, so they'll be okay. Uh, Villa are 17th. They've taken four points. They beat Everton. They got this point. Three defeats in a row before this. It felt like pressure was getting on top of Gerrard. Now, he's probably got plenty of backing from Christian Perslow, who decided when sacking Dean Smith that he wasn't going to actually conduct a proper search for manager and just offered the job to Gerrard, which probably means that if Gerrard goes, Perslow's gone too. But So Perslow will do all he can to keep him in the job. Um, so, yeah, he'll survive for a little while. Villa have a, a, not too bad of a run coming up. And out of sorts, Leicester, Southampton, who could go either way, Leeds, who can go either way, newly promoted Forest, Chelsea, who you just don't know what Chelsea you're going to get, and then Fulham away. So there's a big opportunity here for Villa to pick up a bunch of points, and that can maybe keep Gerrard in a job past the World Cup break. Um, City are second. They'll be furious that they're not top they've drawn twice this season games they should have won uh, they should have had Newcastle put to bed before Newcastle mounted their big you know explosion uh, and tore City apart for 40 minutes they should have had Villa put to bed before Villa scored and uh, I think Pep will want to see his his team improve and they've got a tough game coming up where well, they've got Sevilla in midweek in the Champions League but then they get Spurs, and Spurs beat them twice last year. And then they get Wolves away, and that's tough. Then it's a Manchester derby. Then it's happened in Liverpool. So difficult enough run coming for, well, actually, a very difficult run coming for City that uh, they'll have to navigate. Um, Moving on then to Sunday's games, uh, there were two. The first one was a, a one-sided ass-kicking. Brighton 5, Leicester 2. Uh, that flatters Leicester, being honest. Seven or eight would have been a fairer reflection of what we witnessed. Uh, Ian Acho did put Leicester one up on one minute. Great work from Yuri Tielemans. Um, a Luke Thomas own goal on 10 minutes. Cross into the box, badly dealt, dealt with. Secondary cross, Luke Thomas um, jumps to try and block a Sully March header. And hits him and goes in. There's nothing he can do about it. It's an own goal. Moises Casado made it 2-1 to Brighton on 15. Great work by Mwepu. Picks the ball up. Just drives at that defence. Draws in a defender. Johnny Evans in this case. Plays the ball to Casado, who supported him brilliantly. One touch. And just whips it into the bottom corner. Really good finish. Really impressive goal by Brighton. Pat Sandaka made it 2 on 33 minutes, it's poor defending by Brighton. It really is. It's a simple long ball, and it's just not dealt with at all. Daka does really well, times his run, gets in the ball, and finishes very well. But then it just all started to fall apart for um, for Leicester. And this was a sign to me of a team that may well have given up on their manager. So two minutes into the second half, Brighton have a free kick. Gross crosses it, and it's headed out. And McAllister steps onto it on the edge of the box, probably probably 25 yards out, and leathers it into the top corner. And it's given as an offside, because in the build-up, Mwepu had gone a yard offside. Or not even a yard. He's about, no, he's about two inches offside in reality. 
It's a scandal that the goal is disallowed because it's an incredible goal. But that wasn't going to stop Leicester. Or, sorry, that wasn't going to stop Brighton. Really good move. McAllister to Gross into Trossard. Finishes brilliantly past Ward. Makes it 3-2. Seven minutes later, it's a penalty to Brighton. Uh, Trossard does exceptionally well in a tiny little space to beat Ndidi and Ndidi lunges in for the ball, brings him down, penalty. Alexis McAllister steps up and scores with a plum. And then Alexis, who seemingly was just furious that his first goal was disallowed. 97th minute, free kick, 25 yards out. And he steps up and just whips it into the top corner. Pace, power, dip, the whole shebang. Unbelievable free kick. Unbelievable. It should have been his hat-trick goal, and it would have been one of the great hat-tricks with the first and third goals. But unfortunately for Alexis, it's only two. But he was sensational in this game. And that midfield with him, Casado, and Mwepu, that's going to be a problem for a lot of teams this year. And they've got Jakob Motor to come back. And they've got Billy Gilmore now who can play in place of McAllister when McAllister needs a rest or is injured or whatever. Pascal Gross can play in those midfield roles. Sonny Marsh can play in those midfield roles. They've still got Lamptey to come back into this team, who I think is a significantly better player than Sonny Marsh. They've got Estupinen to come in, um, and that would allow Trussard to play further forward. Um, this team are really fun. Now, they do still lack a number nine, but it is what it is for now. They're playing really good football, and that midfield was just outstanding. It really was. March and Trossard, neither of whom are defenders, playing as inverted wingbacks is magnificent. And by the way, this is what inverted is. When you play on the opposite side to your strong side and coming field with the ball, an inverted winger is a right-footed left winger or a left-footed right winger. An inverted fullback is a right-footed left back or left-footed right back. It is not someone who plays as a right-footer on the right and moves narrow. That's not an inverted fullback. It's just not. So stop. Stop trying to sound so clever. Arsenal do not play with inverted fullbacks. City play with an inverted fullback. Brighton play with inverted wingbacks. That's what inverted is. Anyway. Um, Leicester are bottom. One point from six games. That was on the opening day of the season. That was a game they were 2-0 up in and threw it away. In fact, you could say, for argument's sake, that Leicester have just lost everything since the beginning of the second half of that first game. They lost the second half of that 2-1, and they've lost every game since. Um, one point. Unacceptable for this group of players and this amount of talent, but not surprising considering who the manager is. Um, his shtick gets old. He doesn't have any secondary ideas on how to turn around bad luck or bad runs of form. He doesn't know how to coach a defence, and he never has. And frankly, there will be no tears shed at Leicester by his players or by the fans when he is eventually fired. I'm surprised he hasn't been fired already. I wonder if they're just waiting um, to get to the international break and they'll do it then. Uh, coming up for Leicester. They got Villa at home. Now, that's a game you've got to win because Villa are not good. That's a game Leicester have got to win. Then they go to Tottenham. That's really tough. Then they get the international break. I, I reckon he's gone after the Tottenham game. That's my prediction. He'll survive till Tottenham and then he'll be gone. And then they come back out of the international break with Forrest at home, Bournemouth away, Palace at home, Leeds at home, Wolves away. 
that's not a bad run to give a new manager. Who that new manager will be, I don't know. I don't see Leicester appointing a Sean Dyche. I don't see Pochettino or that having an interest in Leicester. So I'm not really sure who they go for. They might look at someone... I wonder what they look at the Denmark manager. Casper Hillman, who's been linked to a couple of Premier League jobs in the past. I wonder what they consider him. Plays good football. Really does get the best out of his players. I think that squad would be relatively well suited to what he likes to do. He's certainly done the hard yards. You know, he was at Nordjand for a long time and a year at Mines and back to Nordjand. Uh, one I'd, I'd like to see them consider is Bo Svensson, who's the manager of Mines. Uh, I've been impressed by him. Marco Rose is sitting out there. His jobs have not gone well. Um, Was doing okay at Gladbach, decided to go to Dortmund. Then Gladbach announced it publicly that he'd agreed to go four months before the season ended, or three months before the season ended, and it all fell apart there. And it just didn't go well in his one season at Dortmund, and he was uh, relieved of his duties. Um, I wonder would they consider him. He could be interesting. He does play really good football, and he's an interesting manager. So he might be one that they'd look at. Yasley at... um. Red Bull Salzburg's another interesting one. Plays really exciting football. I think Bo Svensson is the right one. If I was them, that's probably who I'd look at. Bo Svensson or um, Hillmond. They're, they're both Danish, which Dan Denmark does seem to be starting to produce some really interesting coaches. Obviously, we have seen in the Premier League with, with Thomas Frank uh, how good he is. But you know, Svensson or, or Hillmond, I think, would be would be interesting for, for Leicester. Um, not really sure who else would be out there that they could look at that would come in and make a sort of immediate impact. Those are the two. Gilman or both Fenson. Get one of them. Get one of them and, and it, it can't get worse. I mean, it just can't get worse. You're bottom of the league. You've got one point and you're awful at the minute. Uh, last game then. Probably the, I suppose, the marquee game of the weekend, if you want to call it that. Manchester United 3, Arsenal 1. Now, seeing a lot of strange takes about this game. So, Anthony scores on 35 minutes after good work in midfield by United and awful defending by Arsenal. Bruno Fernandes plays Anthony through and his finish passed uh, and already sprawling to one side. Um, Aaron Ramsdale is, is a good finish. He'd barely been involved in the game to that point, but it's a very good finish. Arsenal had had a goal disallowed. Um, Eriksen had lost the ball in midfield, fallen to Saka. Saka played through Martinelli. Martinelli ran on and scored. It was disallowed because Mark Nodegaard fouled Christian Eriksen. Now, again, a lot of Arsenal fans are up in arms with this. I do think it is a foul. I, he does run into him. He does catch him with his knee in the thigh of Christian Eriksen. But it's a bit of a soft one, but whatever. But Arsenal's heads seemed to completely go from there. And they really didn't seem to know what they were meant to be doing or how to manage the game. And United discovered very quickly that they could counter through all of Arsenal's pressing, which was really, really poor. Went in at halftime, came back out, and Arsenal still just looked like they were rattled. But then there was a ball played through to Gabriel Jesus. Varane challenged him to stop him from getting a shot away. The ball fell to Bikayo Saka, who finished really well uh, into what was an empty net because De Gea was committed to come out for the first shot. But then United just embarrassed Arsenal, I thought. I thought Arsenal just looked so naive and so lacking in anything resembling leadership, organisation, communication, 
they just they were all over the place. Everybody was doing their own thing, and Arteta was waving them forward when all they needed to do was keep playing their football because when they played their football, they had dominated the middle of the park. Now they created very little. It was a very easy afternoon for David De Gea. But they were playing the better football. It's just that a lot of it was kind of pointless or or had no end product. Ericsson gets the ball in midfield, plays it into Bruno. Bruno plays a lovely ball with the outside of his foot onto Ericsson, onto Rashford rather. Rashford runs on and finishes. He scores the same goal that Martinelli had scored uh, in the first half, basically. Um, Arsenal's defence was just all at sea. All at sea. This was the first real test for William Saliba and he failed it quite badly. I thought Ben White had a stinker. Zinchenko just isn't a, isn't a defender. He just isn't a defender. Arteta is purposely weakening his defence by playing Ben White and Zinchenko over Tomiyasu and Tierney, who are vastly superior defenders because the other two are better on the ball. But there's no balance to the Arsenal team. And they get countered again on 75 minutes. Eriksen gets through, slips the ball across, Rashford taps home. But Arsenal... I was just, I've seen a lot of people come out and say there's lots to praise Arsenal for. There's lots of positives. I don't know what the positives are. I really genuinely don't. Did you play good football? Yeah, to an extent. Did you create anything? No. Did you look like you were going to win the game? Not really. Because United's game plan was very clear. They were going to sit deep. They were going to throw bodies at the ball. And then they were going to counterattack. That was United's game plan. Manchester United played Oli Ball. This was like watching Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's United. Which is quite hilarious considering how much praise um, Eric Ten Hag is getting at the minute. Yeah, all he's doing is playing the same way as Oli played. Like defensively, United have not been good, but they've managed to keep clean sheets, or in this game only concede one goal, by throwing themselves at the ball in numbers. Like there's no structure to this defence. This is panic stations, all hands to the pump at all times. But it's working for now, like it worked for Ollie, And the counter-attacking is working for now, like it worked for Ollie. Arsenal were so naive in this game. Didn't get their goal because of the, the VAR. Lost their heads. Played like a bunch of kids who were sulking. Managed to get themselves back into the game then. Then concede because they couldn't manage the state of the game because they were just too aggressive. And then Arteta just loses the run of himself and starts throwing on attacking players. Like, I I really don't understand why Arsenal, A, when the second Rashford goal went, or the, sorry, the first Rashford goal went in, Arsenal just started piling bodies forward and leaving themselves exposed. Then the second goal goes in. He brings on Odegaard for Smith-Rowe, so it's, that's, a, that's a forward player for a midfielder. He brings on Vieira for Laconga which is an attacking player, an attacking midfielder for a defensive midfielder. And he brings on Eddie and Ketia for Zinchenko, so a striker for the left-back. It's just madness. There was still 15 and stoppage time left. Play your football. Play your football. This is not a good defence. You will get chances. Gabriel Jesus was giving them absolute nightmares. Get the ball to him. And then the last sub he makes, he brings on Tommy Asu for Ben White. Just bizarre management. Absolutely bizarre management. Again, like last season, just didn't seem to know what to do when they went behind. Like, I get that 
they played Fulham and went 2-1 behind and managed to fight the way back in by throwing a load of forward players onto the pitch. I get that. But that won't work every time. That really won't work every time. United just made them look like a really naive team. And credit to them. This was United's best performance of the season by a mile. By an absolute mile. But Arsenal made it easy for them. Naive in defence. And a little bit blunt in attack. Credit to United though. It's a good three points. And it helps them. United are now fifth in the league. They've won four in a row. So that's, look, after the disaster start, that's a really good turnaround. But let's not pretend it's anything other than volleyball. Let's not pretend that defensive stuff is not just panic stations at all times. Um, that is now five of six games this season where Lissandro Martinez has not won a headed duel. And three of six games where he hasn't even contested a headed duel. So that's bizarre for a Premier League centre-back. Um, I was quite impressed by Malashia. thought he did okay against Saka. Saka had him on toast a couple of times. Um, there was the big Saka chance in the second half where he controlled it in the box and just threw him a dummy and turned him and left him going for a newspaper or whatever it was and uh, shot right-footed wide past the post. But I thought he it was diligent. Diogo Delo is currently the best defender in that United team. On form. Varane is the best defender by a mile, but Delo is playing really well. And barring the goal that was disallowed, I thought he just swallowed up Martinelli. Don't think Martinelli had any real impact on the game. Um, Arsenal stay top. You know, uh, they're still Fugazi. <laughs> they're still Fugazi. And five wins in a row was very impressive. But for me, you look at those results and, you know, you have to look at the games, not just the results. It's a Palace team that didn't have any kind of preseason. It's a Leicester team that are just garbage. It's a Bournemouth team that lost their next game 9-0. The comeback against Fulham was good, but to be in that position to begin with was poor. The same thing with Villa. To be one all with Villa at home, it's not great. And uh, they got they got schooled by United. Schooled. Mugged. Everton next. It's a game they have to win. They've obviously got Zurich in the Europa League, but whatever. Everton. Then Brentford away. Then things get tough. Then they get Spurs at home and Liverpool at home. Then they get Leeds. Then they get City. And as I said before, they have all three of them at home in October, which means they get all three of them away in the back half of the season. Tottenham in January, Liverpool and City in April. They also get Chelsea at home in April. Uh, they've got Chelsea away at the start of November. So... They've got a really tough run coming up. And we'll find out a lot more of this about this Arsenal team when they're playing that calibre team. Um, and now they're going to have to factor in Europe as well. Travel, squad rotation, things like that. It'll make things a lot more difficult for them. So we'll see what they're really made of, largely between now and the international, or the, the World Cup break. We'll see what this Arsenal team are about. Uh, right, that's that. Uh, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we will just rattle through the gossip and we'll be done for the day. See you in a few. Right, welcome back. So, big news for Chelsea this morning. Reese James has signed a new contract with the club that will tie him to Chelsea until 2028. Uh, so it's a new contract, not an extension of old terms. So I would imagine a sizable pay raise 
for Reese James, likely to be now one of the higher paid players at the club. Congrats to him and congrats to Chelsea on making that clever decision after somewhat of a scattered week uh, summer of business. Right, let's let's get into this. Gareth Crooks team of the week. Jordan Pickford. No problem. He played very well. He made a number of really good saves. He's picked Connor Cody, which is laughable. He's picked Joe Gomez, which is just foolish. He's picked Ben Chilwell, who played 15 minutes. I know he scored. He played 15 minutes. In midfield, Billing, well, he scored. Hoisberg, he scored. Eriksson, he made a goal, and he probably did watch the Arsenal United game. Alexis, no problem. Uh, Philip Billing should not be there. I don't think Hoisberg should be there either. He's picked Rashford. He's picked Haaland, who did not have a particularly good game. And Ivan Tony, no problem. No problem with Rashford, no problem with Tony. Haaland should not be there. Uh, I'm no fan, as you know, but Tyron Mings should be in the team of the week this year, this, this weekend. Tyron, Tyron Mings had a really good game against Haaland. Um, managed to deal with him physically, could match him for largely match him for pace, and seemed to get under his skin a little bit. So, yeah, uh, he should be in the team. Uh, Erling Haaland should not. But once again, Gareth Crooks just doesn't watch football, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just picked. He's I, he what he's done this weekend is he's watched the Spurs game, and then he's watched Arsenal against United, and he's decided based on that to pick. Uh, Ericsson and, and Rashford, well, Ericsson mostly, and Heusberg. But they don't belong in the team. Um, neither does Billing. Like, Pascal Gross should be in the team over Haaland, if you're picking a third forward player. Or Trossard should be in the team. Um, or Caicedo should be in the team. Or Mwepu. Like, one or two more Brighton players should be in there. Um, I think you could make a strong... I think strong, a strong argument for Amadou Onana, who I thought was really good against Liverpool. Um, Matthias Nunes deserves a mention here. But yeah, Gareth Crooks just doesn't watch football because he's a fool. He is an actual fool. Um, right, I'm going to do the gossip. We've got, I'm just going to do the last three days worth because I know I missed three days of last week, but. I don't think anyone wants to hear me go through six days of gossip, especially when the, the transfer window is closed. And so I didn't get a chance to react to like the late deals. Uh, so I'm going to do that tomorrow just to have something to talk about tomorrow. Um, so I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'll just re react to the last deals. On Thursday night, I'm recording the transfer window review with Kevin DeVries. Uh, we'll go through all, through all 20 teams and give them a grade from A to F um, based on what they did or didn't do. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain offered Neymar to Manchester City before the deadline closed, but the Premier League champions turned down the chance to sign him. I don't believe that to be in any way true. Manchester United failed in the deadline day bid to sell Raul de Thomas. Um, what we're going to see is we're going to see lots of nonsense you know, of this this move was made or that team tried to sign him. Like Romano is trying to get his clicks now, so he's trying to claim that Chelsea offered 50 million for Romeo Lavia. If they didn't, he wouldn't be allowed to play for Chelsea because he was registered for City. He's registered for Southampton. He wouldn't be allowed to play. So no, they didn't. Um, Netherlands forward Cody Gakbo will sign a bumper new contract at PSV after interest from United Leeds and Southampton this summer. I'd imagine it includes a buyout clause. Gakbo thought he was leaving PSV for Manchester United until the last week of the transfer window. Don't know how true that is. Tottenham looked into signing Wilfred Ndidi before the deadline. It's from the Athletic, so it's likely true. Um, but I think Spur uh, Chelsea were also interested. Leeds managed to sign Wilfred Nanto for just four million after refusing to meet FC Zurich's 7 million asking price. That's strange. Las Palmas president Miguel Angel Ramirez 
says he turned down a 25 million euro offer for Alberto Malero, the 18-year-old Spanish forward, who is like meant to be the next big thing in Spanish football. Um, him and Pedri, I think, were a year apart in the academy. Is that was it a year? Yeah, a year apart in the academy. And I remember when Pedri moved, people said this kid was more talented. Now, I don't know how true that is because I haven't watched him. But because uh, I'm not going to watch the second division of Spanish football, but um, yeah, I mean he's he's very very highly regarded. So remains to be seen. Manchester United football director John Murtaugh has accepted that United should have abandoned talks for Frankie De Jong much earlier than they did. They were still trying to sign him on deadline day, despite having been turned down in June. The Manchester United board vetoed an approach for Hakim Ziyech. I'd imagine that was instead of Anthony. Because you couldn't play the two of them together. Newcastle and Aston Villa approached Tottenham on deadline day for Lucas Moura. Brian Hill has hinted he is unhappy at Tottenham after a second loan move to Valencia collapsed as Spurs were unable to find a replacement. Um, look, I think he's actually better off staying, and I think Spurs could use him as a Kulisevsky backup. Slight, obviously, slightly different types of players, but they're both left-footed right-wingers who can carry the ball as the primary aspect of what they bring to a team. Atletico Madrid coach Diego Simeone f- admits he is following club orders by using Antoine Griezmann sparingly to avoid triggering a 34.5 million clause in the contract from when he was loaned back from Barca. It's a, it's a very funny thing that's going on there. Uh, Chelsea looking to hand new contracts to Reese James and Mason Mount. The James one is done. Uh, Thomas Tuchel said the club sold Billy Gilmore to Brighton as he did not want to go on loan again, which makes sense. Look, he wasn't going to make the grade at Chelsea regardless. Torino say they wanted to bring Dennis Pryat back to the club, but Leicester simply wouldn't let him go, which is a bit strange because when he went back at the start of the summer, him and Samari were expected to leave. But I don't know, maybe it was just a case that the owner said to Rogers, you're not getting any more money to spend because you spent badly. Now, they obviously had to allow him to spend a portion of the Fafana money to bring in a new centre-back, but all things considered, um, they just didn't let him spend, which is probably the right move. Southampton rejected a 50 million proposal. I, I don't believe this is true. I don't believe there was a 50 million proposal for Romeo Lavia. Arsenal made a 30 million euro offer for Ferran Torres a few days before the window closed, but it was rejected. Now, that's by El Nacional, um, who are absolutely awful, so I wouldn't believe that to be true. Three rival agents are embroiled in a 20 million payment dispute over Anthony's move to Manchester United, each claiming they played the biggest role. Um, I, again, I don't know how true this is, but I've seen a few fairly reliable United kind of ITKs suggesting that they have not only paid enormous money this summer for the players they've brought in, Martinez. Casemiro and uh, Anthony, but that the agent fees are enormous on all three of those deals. So it remains to be seen. Um, Julian Timber has sent out false claims that his national team boss, Louis van Gaal, advised him against the move to Old Trafford. Yeah, easy to do that two months after those claims came out. Uh, Manchester United turned down the chance to sign Mo- Moises Casado for just 4.5 million 18 months ago. I don't think they did. I think he turned them down because they weren't willing to offer him regular game time. If memory serves, like I remember, I remember that deal. He was going to United, and all of a sudden Brighton stole him. And the reports coming out of Brighton at the time, the local Brighton journalists, were that he picked Brighton because Brighton were willing to offer him game time, and United weren't. Barcelona are taking legal advice of Antoine Griezmann's Atletico Madrid loan deal. Um. 
So if he plays 45 minutes or more in 14 games, the <laughs> the obligation to buy is triggered. Uh, he's yet to start this season and he's he played 30 minutes. So the he can only play 31 minutes or whatever, or nine, 29 minutes, whatever. That, that's nonsense. It's yeah, this is apparently what it is. Uh 45 minutes or more in 14 games. That's gonna be funny to watch for the rest of the season. Uh Manchester United offered Manchester United offered Danish playmaker Christian Eriksen a deal worth 43 million to ward off interest from Tottenham. Well, Tottenham weren't in for him. Tottenham considered it and then moved away from that off that deal. Uh, so that part is untrue. Three-year contracts, 43 million. So that's uh, roughly 280 grand a week. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Uh, AC Milan striker Olivier Giroud said he knew Raphael Leao would stay at the Italian club despite interest from Chelsea. Leao is sensational. Tottenham wanted to sign Atalanta and Ukraine midfielder Ruslan Malinowski, but the Italian club refused to sell. Seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton says he has not been contacted by Sir Jim Radcliffe about a potential bid. This is There's so much nonsense going on around this deal. Or this idea of the Glazers selling, which will all die down in a few weeks. Uh, Chelsea expressed an interest in signing Sander Burge on deadline day. Leeds are readying a bid for Ben Breert and Diaz in January. Don't understand why they didn't just go for him on deadline day. The price was set for him. Former Tottenham boss Harry Redknapp says he told nephew Deli Ali to sign... Sorry, said he told nephew Frank Lampard to sign Deli Ali, but admits the Englishman was a disaster. If Frank Lampard is taking transfer advice off Harry Redknapp, he's not fit to be a manager. He really isn't. Um, good to see Delhi scoring for Besiktas at the weekend, though, so I'm happy for him. Chelsea's head of international scouting, Scott McLaughlin, who previously worked at Fulham and Southampton, has left the club after 11 years. So the, the clear-out continues. Uh, Harry Kane has been told to reject a new contract at Tottenham with Bayern Munich weighing up a move for the 29-year-old. Meh. Crystal Palace will table a £20 million bid for Conor Gallagher in January. And I think they'll probably get him as well. I don't know if it'll be 20. They'll probably need to go to like 25 and some add-ons. Galatasaray are interested in signing Kagler Sayonchu before next week's transfer. And obviously the Turkish deadline is not until the 7th or 8th. Um, I, they can't really afford to let him go, though. I mean, Leicester just don't have... Enough centre backs. They don't have any. They don't have enough good centre backs. They've got bodies, but they don't have any good centre backs. Like Sionchu was excellent, and then he's fallen off a cliff. I don't know enough about Woot Faze. I saw him a few times because I was watching Reams for Rajkovic. It wasn't it wasn't eye catching, other than the hair. Um, who else have we got? Johnny Evans, well past his best. Daniel Amarty, not a centre back. Um, Yannick Vestergaard, awful. Like, they sell him. Who are they going to play? Keep him till January. Keep him till January. Then you can sell him because you can buy someone and you'll have a new manager all going well. The Glazer family have put a 3.75 billion price tag on Manchester United. Lies. Utter lies. It is going to cost a minimum of five billion to get them out of that club. And even at that, I don't know that they'd sell. Like, consider what Chelsea went for. United are eons bigger than Chelsea, eons more valuable than Chelsea. So no chance on earth that they're gonna go for that kind of money. Why would they? Like, why would they? Arsenal and Portugal under 21 defender Nuno Tavares said he wanted an option to buy. Added into his Marseille loan deal. He's another one that hasn't been overly um, overly complimentary about the way he was treated at Arsenal. Liverpool wanted to sign Dennis Zakaria. No, they didn't. This is nonsense. Um, Juventus will make a move to sign Roberto Firmino in January. Bayern Munich are interested in signing Barcelona and Spain midfielder Gavi. 
whose contract runs out next summer. Now that that's such a weird situation where he's agreed a new deal, but he hasn't signed it yet. And he doesn't look like he's going to sign it, but he might still. Leeds will return with another attempt to sign Cody Gakpo in January. Chelsea are yet to appoint a sporting director with former Barcelona defender Maxwell and ex-Liverpool man Michael Edwards on their list. Michael Edwards is being linked to um, to United as well. I, I genuinely don't think he'd consider either, either job. Um, at the minute, he is the assistant sporting director at PSG. He's been in that role for a while because he was appointed to work on side alongside Antero Enrique. And I just how long has he been there? Let's see. Oh, he was in April. No, that's not right. Yeah, he was appointed sporting director in twenty seventeen. But removed from that role in 2019 because Leonardo came back to the club. Um, he previously done a brilliant job at Porto for 11 years. Now he's executive assistant of the manager. I don't know what that role is, but uh, it doesn't sound like a real job. I, I wonder is this because he signed a long contract and they're just trying to find roles for him. But I knew he'd been removed as sporting director years back. Um Anyway, neither of them sound like they'd be ideal for Chelsea, to be honest. Chelsea are favourites to sign Arsene Zakarian from Dinamo Moscow. They tried to sign him there in in the summer, but uh, they, the laws uh, against, other the rules that are in place currently against Russia, the sanctions, I think have, have scuppered any chance of that. Uh, Lucas Moura is keen to run down his contract and leave on a free in 2024. So what Football Insider, Wayne VC Spoofer, is claiming is that Mora is just going to waste the next two years of his career running down his contract to leave on a free as a 32-year-old. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Put Lucas Mora's name into Google. Fabrizio Romano reveals what he knows about Lucas Moura deadline day rumours. Nothing is what he knows. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Right, that'll be, that's me for today. That is me for today. Long podcast, um, but sure, it is what it is. I will see you all tomorrow, uh, and we'll do, we'll go through the, kind of the last couple of days, the transfer window. We'll do winners and losers, and have a look at that, and yeah, that'll be tomorrow and then Wednesday obviously there's Champions League games tomorrow night Wednesday night so we can have a chat with them and uh, Thursday will be questions and Friday will be preview and then we'll be back to normal back to normal this week see you tomorrow bye bye Podcast Network.